Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Blow up. Welcome, everybody, to the Thursday, July 9th edition of Locked on Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, NFL Draft Analyst at thedraftnetwork.com, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan and managing editor of USA Today's DolphinsWire.com. And today we are going to be covering a topic that was proposed to me during this week's Power to the pod. Think of it as a reward for asking a very insightful question. What would I have done differently in regards to the 2020 offseason for the Miami Dolphins versus what we actually saw come into reality? It's a great question. There's a lot of layers there. That's why I decided to commit an entire show to talking about it. And that's not to demonize. Let's get this out of the way right now because I'm going to talk about things that I would have done differently. It's not to demonize the decisions that were made. Generally speaking, I appreciate the thought that there was a clear and defined process for the Dolphins offseason this year. They had clear objectives that they set out to achieve, and I think they did that. Will all of these players work out? It's an unfortunate reality that we're probably going to have to come to terms with because the offseason, it's super easy to get very supportive and excited. Not every investment the Dolphins made this offseason is going to work. Which ones do I think are the most high risk? Well, that's what we're going to talk about here. We're going to talk about ways I would have attacked it differently to achieve. Try and look at it through the same filter as the Dolphins, though. Because I uh, philosophically, I want to try and put this exercise through the lens of understanding who the Dolphins are as a team, what their identity is, and trying to find alternative solutions that I probably would have made instead myself if I were in Chris Greer's shoes. But still staying true to the blueprint of, this is who we want to be as a football team. Because entering into year two of a new regime with Brian Flores and Chris Greer, we're starting to get some clarity on exactly what that looks like. So that's what we're going to talk about today, but not before we have a quick reaction to some news that came through regarding a couple of ASC teams who announced that they are planning on having reduced capacities in their stadiums in 2020. The Miami Dolphins are not one of the NFL teams to have made early announcements as it pertains to their plans for fans in the stands at 2020 NFL games this fall. But the Baltimore Ravens did announce plans yesterday, announcing that the reduced seating capacity at M&T Bank Stadium would be less than 14,000 seats per game. To offer a proper level of safety for fans who want to attend games, a reduction in capacity is necessary, stated Ravens president Dick Cass. We are prevented that this will be a disruption for many ticket buyers, but we have an obligation to our fans and our community to keep M&T Bank Stadium as safe as possible. If you'll remember, the Miami Dolphins in Hard Rock Stadium was the first NFL team and stadium 
to illustrate what a socially distanced entrance into an NFL stadium could look like while the country was under lockdown. Now, the state of Florida is one of the hotspots ongoing as things currently stand for coronavirus, and it is put into question the future of the 2020 NFL season in its entirety and and how likely it is that we will or will not have football this fall. At the end of the day, the players with a players union as paid athletes, we've successfully now seen major league soccer return, the PGA tour return, NASCAR return. The NBA players are getting ready to enter into the bubble. MLB teams are back at training camp. Ultimately, And this is just an opinion, but I do think we will see some stability that goes forward with an NFL season of some kind. Maybe not the full schedule. Definitely, we already know the preseason has been uh, impacted and been cut in half. The NFLPA continues to push uh, for no preseason at all. But that is more on account of looking to set the players up for as much success as possible to get into playing shape and minimizing unnecessary exposures that could introduce the virus into a locker room. There's still plenty of logistics that need to be ironed out as far as financials and the financial implications with reduced stadium capacities, if there's going to be fans allowed in the stands at all. Uh, But the fact that the NFL is already starting to angle and piece together an opt-out program indicates that the league is probably going to forge ahead and play the season and just give the players the opportunity if they personally feel uncomfortable, uh, don't want to risk exposing their families to the virus or risk exposing themselves or if they have underlying conditions of their own, uh, to just elect to sit out the season and pick up their contracts where they left off as something that has already been discussed between the NFL and the NFLPA. The fact that they're already angling and aligning for that to be an option for the players bodes as an omen that there will be an NFL season, but the NFL wants to be understanding and compassionate to players who don't personally feel it would be in their best interest to take the field for 16 games. RockAuto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. So whether it's for your classic or daily driver, you can get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your front door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and easy to navigate, and you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices that you prefer. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers alike. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So as we look at the Dolphins offseason, I'd like to start with free agency specifically and acknowledge the players uh, that the Dolphins signed. There's nobody that the Dolphins let walk that I have regrets about. The Dolphins signings in free agency are worth discussing, however. Here are the key names 
and the price points that the Dolphins got commitments for these players uh, to sign for. Byron Jones, five years, $82.5 million. Annual average salary of $16.5 million. Linebacker Kyle Van Noy, four years, $51 million. Annual average salary of $12.75 million per season. Defensive end Shaq Lawson, three years, $30 million. Eric Flowers, three years, $30 million. Both of those players, $10 million annual average salary per season. Defensive end Emmanuel Ogba, two years, $15 million, $7.5 million annual average salary per season. Running back Jordan Howard, two years, $9.75 million, $4.88 annual average salary. Clayton Fejdalem, safety, three years, $8.5 million. Center, Ted Karras, one year, $3 million. Linebacker, Camus Gruger Hill, one year, $3 million. Linebacker, Elandon Roberts, one year, $2 million. Safety, Adrian Culver, one year, $1.15 million. Safety, Kayvon Frazier, one year, $1.05 million. Those are the uh, prominent free agent signings that the Dolphins achieved, letting Rashad Jones, Akeem Tlaib, Daniel Kilgore, Walt Aikens, uh, Jamarcus Webb, Michael, Clive Walford, John Jenkins. Those are the names that walked. Nobody of any significance walked uh, for the Dolphins, cutting Taco Charlton. and it, the, No regrets as far as outgoing talent. Evan Bain was the biggest contract for a Dolphins free agent to sign somewhere else. He got one year, $1 million. Says quite a bit. Um... Eric Flowers was the signing that I was least enamored with, uh, and some of that had to do with the fact that I was mentally prepared for the Dolphins to throw a 80% of the Byron Jones money at Joe Thune, right? Would have liked to have seen maybe Andrus Pete get some consideration. He's 26 years old. He got a five-year, $57.5 million contract from the New Orleans Saints to return to New Orleans. Uh, but you look at the interior offensive linemen and the contracts that were signed. Four players got bigger deals than what Eric Flowers got. From an annual average salary perspective, this 10 year per or 10 million per year deal is in line with what Andrew Whitworth got from the Rams, George Fant got from the Jets. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't believe it. Uh, but here's here's what Miami's options were. Miami was either going to spend more money to convince Graham Glasgow to come over from Detroit, who he he landed in Denver, and he's 27 years old, uh, so a year older than Eric Flowers. They were going to either spend more money on getting Eric Flowers in here for a more long-term commitment. He signed for four years, $44 million. You were going to break the bank for Andrus Pete, in which case you're probably not signing one of Van Noy and Byron Jones, who would have been players for me who were high-end, high-priority free agents, uh, knowing the value that Kyle Van Noy has in the defense and Byron Jones being one of the best press man corners in all of football. You could have maybe said farewell to Emmanuel Agba and signed either Pete or Glasgow to a more long-term deal 
and conceded Agba and signed uh, one of those two instead of Flowers and Agba. The price point uh, there on those two deals is $45 million, but even still, that's that's more in line with what Graham Glasgow got. Pete was an extra $11 million on top of that because it was a five-year deal. So I might have swung harder for one of the top interior offensive linemen than what the Dolphins did with Eric Flowers. But if you didn't get Eric Flowers, this is where it makes it hard for me to criticize. You weren't getting a good starter. You weren't getting a quality starter at all. Like at all. So it's hard for me to knock the Dolphins for that, but I'm not crazy about the Eric Flowers signing with him coming in and arguably being our best interior offensive lineman right out the shoot. He was fine last year in Washington, but not necessarily a signing that I was falling all over myself for. I love the fit of Jordan Howard. I love some of these cheap, low-end, one-year deals with Karras and Gruger Hill and Elan and Roberts. Those are home-run fits. If I was going to have a mulligan in free agency, it probably would have been conceding somebody of depth, whether it's Fezdulam. Because look, the Dolphins, this is another way to look at it. The Dolphins signed three three safeties in free agency and then drafted Brandon Jones in the third round. Fezdulam, Adrian Colbert, they retained on a one-year short-term deal, and they signed Kayvon Frazier on a one-year short-term deal. If you're going to get that much overkill here in safety, could we have you know, maybe passed on Fejdalem's three-year, $9 million deal and taken some of that money and, and put us into a position where it would have been easier to absorb the extra money that it would have cost you to get Graham Glasgow or Andrus Pete over Eric Flowers? Maybe. That's probably, I probably would have gone for a little less depth and gone for a bigger splash starter because I was ready for the Dolphins to give Joe Thune $14 million. Obviously, they franchise tagged him at the at the midnight hour, and, and that changed those plans for everybody, including teams like the New York Jets, who were were seemed intent on really getting into a crazy bidding war, in which the case, if it, if we got to that point, the Dolphins probably would have bailed anyway. Um, not sure what the interest from Pete or Glasgow would have been. Perhaps they did reach out to those players and found that the interest was not there in coming to Miami, in which case they did the best they could. But I do think it is uh, the most pressing question is how well will Eric Flowers play? Because we need him to be the best starter on the offensive line. Mulligans uh, early in the draft. So what I'd like to do is pull up the draft order here and look at you know the first first and second days, and then I would do a day three mulligan as well. So the Dolphins' first three selections, um, if I'm going to pick one mulligan, it's going to be a bit of a challenge because I was a little surprised by two of the picks they made in the first round. Uh, obviously, drafting to a Tunga Bailoa with the number five overall pick. I had Dolphins fans preparing for anything, right, before the draft, and there were some fans... Uh, who had some questions, you know, why are we talking so much about Justin Herbert and Jordan Love? It's because we wanted to be ready for anything. Now, with that said, Tua was my second-rated quarterback behind Joe Burrow, and he was my third-highest-rated quarterback of the past four seasons. They got a good one. 
I'm totally fine. And the fact that they stayed put, they didn't trade out of five and give up a first-round pick to go get a guy they got at five anyway, icing on the cake, right? 18, we kind of knew was no man's land for the Dolphins. And you look at some of the picks that went in this stretch. C.D. Lamb goes at 17 to Dallas, which would have been interesting to see what happened if he was available on the board. Dolphins go Austin Jackson offensive tackle USC at 18 with the pick from Minkah Fitzpatrick. And then the run that comes afterwards is kind of a weird one. We, we got Damon Arnett, corner Ohio State. Caleb on chase on to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson to the Minnesota Vikings. Kenneth Murray to the San Diego or the Los Angeles Chargers. They traded up with the Patriots to get into that spot, presumably to snipe the Saints for Kenneth Murray. And then the domino effect is on, where the Saints then take Cesar Ruiz, who is reportedly on the Dolphins' radar. 49ers trade up in front of the Dolphins with the Vikings and draft wide receiver Brandon Ayuk, who was reportedly also on the Dolphins' radar. Both those two players go in front of Miami, Ruiz and Ayuk. Dolphins trade back to 30 to take Igbo, and the Packers take Jordan Love at 26. So, knowing that Ayuk was on the Dolphins' radar, which has been rumored, and Cesar Ruiz also rumored to have been on the block for the Dolphins as a point of discussion, I probably would have rather had Ruiz at 18 than Austin Jackson. But he fits the mold of what the Dolphins are looking for, so I can't sit here and hammer this thing too hard. Knowing full well that Ayuk was reportedly on the Dolphins' radar, if CeeDee Lamb would have been there at 18, that'd be my that'd have been my mulligan. If the Dolphins would have passed on CeeDee Lamb for Austin Jackson, I'd low-key kind of been pissed. But it didn't come to that, and we'll never know, because Lamb goes 17 to Dallas. Chason was a player I was super high on as well, but it seemed like the Dolphins wanted more experienced defenders on the defensive side of the football. That's why they go out, they get Van Noy and Byron Jones and uh, Elan and Roberts, and, and really wanted to get pro-ready players there. And Chason, I think, is a guy who, from a pass rush perspective who's going to need a little bit of patience, but him landing in Jacksonville is an awesome spot for him. Igbo at 30. So Austin Jackson, that pick is definitely up for debate for a mulligan on the first two days. Igbo at 30 was also a surprise because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire Comes off the board two picks later. Uh, obviously, DeAndre Swift comes off the board at 35. Five picks later, Yeter Grossmatos comes off the board at 38. Xavier McKinney at 36. All of these players in between Igbo at 30 and the Dolphins picking again at 39. I've got no qualms with the Robert Hunt pick at all. Whether or not he plays guard or tackle still up for debate. That's probably the cleanest pick in my opinion, after Tua in the first two days that, like, as far as if I had to rank which one I would like a mulligan on the most, that one might be last of the the day three picks. Raekwon Davis at 56 is interesting. Obviously, there's some regret here because we saw J.K. Dobbins go at 55 to the Ravens one pick beforehand. We saw 
a guy who I was super high on, Jeremy Chin, went at 64. Ashton Davis, who worked with Coach Alexander at Cal, went at 68. Two picks in front of the Dolphins. Next picks of Brandon Jones. If I could only change one of these day three picks, it might be Brandon Jones in favor of either Devon Hamilton, who went at 73, three picks later, or Zach Bond at 74, four picks later, who went to the New Orleans Saints. So I look at the Dolphins roster now, and Brandon Jones, safety prospect, obviously, but the Dolphins don't have an answer at free safety. I could say, well, I would rather have Ashton Davis at 56 versus Raquan Davis, or I could would rather have Brandon or Devon Hamilton or Zach Bond over Brandon Jones at 70. I get why we went with Austin Jackson, and my biggest regret there wasn't available. And the fact that the Dolphins did get Robert Hunt later in the in with pick 39 makes it an easier pill to swallow um, that they didn't necessarily get Cesar Ruiz at 18 for positional value reasons and that C.D. Lamb wasn't available for Miami to pick. So I'm going to leave Austin Jackson. I'll leave Igbo uh, because I like the fact that the Dolphins now have a core identity in the secondary. I can get behind that thought process. I would probably swap out Brandon Jones for Devon Hamilton. But that, in turn, makes a domino effect where now you've got overkill with Raekwon Davis and Devon Hamilton. So this is my formal submission for a domino effect. Keep the first round exactly the way it was. Keep Robert Hunt at 39. Ashton Davis at 56. Instead of Raekwon Davis. And then Devon Hamilton at 70 instead of Brandon Jones. We're getting the same two positions, just different players that I think can bring a little bit more dynamic play on the back end with Ashton Davis, former track athlete, versus Brandon Jones, whose functional athleticism is going to be more of a Patrick Chung, strong safety type. Heavy nickel, big nickel. Uh, third safety on the field, get into some run fits. It makes sense, but you got some corners that can tackle. And then get a true nose tackle here in Devon Hamilton instead of another scheme-diverse guy in Raekwon Davis. So I'd have changed 56 and 70 on day, day two. As far as a mulligan on day three of the draft, this one's not easy. Because there's a lot of good football players that ended up being available. The answer would have been swapping out Jason Strobridge for Curtis Weaver, except the Dolphins then traded up and ended up getting Curtis Weaver anyway. Which brings me to my answer. My mulligan for day three would have been swapping out Solomon Kindly for another interior offensive lineman. That interior offensive lineman, of course, naturally, he ends up going to the New England Patriots, so it's an even more bitter pill to swallow. Michael Unwenyu from Michigan, who went at 182, I had graded much higher than Kindly, and Kindly played with a foot injury last year, and that may have, I thought his 28 tape was definitely better than his 2018 tape. So maybe 
the foot injury played a big reason why his tape seemed to decline last year. Uh, but in Wenyu was really fun to watch. And if you told me I could have had my choice of Unwenyu or Solomon Kindly early on day three, I would have told you, take Unwenyu, don't look back. The dude's 350 pounds. He moves better than Kindly does. Maybe a ceiling's not as high if you get both these guys to, to cut down on weight a little bit so that their range is a little better. And if Kindly's foot is healthy. But you're splitting hairs. Um, that That's my amended offseason for the Dolphins. I would have probably invested higher dollars to get a better player of similar age in Graham Glasgow and or Andrus Pete instead of signing Eric Flowers to his three-year $30 million deal, uh, knowing full well that it would have cost me some depth in the free agent class, specifically at the safety group. Maybe I don't sign Clayton Fejdalem. I am exchanging safety and defensive linemen with picks 56 and 70. I'm taking Ashton Davis and then Devon Hamilton instead of Raquan Davis and Brandon Jones. And then I'm taking a different interior offensive lineman on day three and Michael and Wenyu instead of Solomon Conley. But I say all that to say this. I tried to take this through the scope of how the Dolphins were trying to build their team. And I would also say the fact that there's no major deviations and that the Dolphins made the best of the situations that they were put in in certain positions of the draft and in free agency, when Thune gets pulled off the table, when C.D. Lamb goes right in front of you at, at 18, you could say, well, you know, maybe the Dolphins should have traded some picks and moved up and got J.K. Dobbins or, or traded up to go get Tristan Wirfs. But the team that ended up getting Tristan Wirfs in Tampa Bay, they were situated in front of Miami in the order anyway. So you're now you're talking about overpaying. And one of the things I tried to, to deliver as a clear message of what I wanted the Dolphins to do in the draft was to not sell their picks and pick by volume because that is a core approach of what we've seen the Dolphins try and gravitate towards. And that's exactly what they did. So I have no regrets about anything on that component. You could sit here and say, well, we could have given up ABC, X, Y, and Z and moved up to spot D and picked player Y. Yes, but at what cost? Dolphins stayed true to their identity. I'd have maybe had some minor tweaks, but like I said at the very top of the show, they're going to get a chance to play it out. I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like. Look forward to talking with you all again tomorrow. Kyle Krabs signing off. Thanks, as always, for listening to Locked on Dolphins. I hope you keep it locked in right here tomorrow for one more show this week. Kyle Krabs signing off. Hope to see you then.